From pods mounted on the underside of propeller planes to orbital sensor systems on the International Space Station, remote sensing technology is providing us with a host of amazing images and data points with applications ranging from precision agriculture efforts to disaster response aid. When it comes to the possibilities that remote sensing provides today's data scientists, cartographers, aid responders, and climatologists, seeing really is believing. Hello, I'm your host, Paul Tees, and on this episode of If Win, I sat down with Scott Stetson, Division Vice President for Growth and Strategy at Jacobs, and Andy Eichelberger, Remote Sensing Division Director at Jacobs to discuss remote sensing technology and how it can be applied to address a variety of challenges. Scott and Andy also shared how remote sensing can be used for sustainability endeavors, how it might be combined with other emerging technologies such as artificial intelligence, and how it may evolve in the future. Scott and Andy, thank you both so much for joining me today to talk about remote sensing. I know Jacobs is doing a lot of great work in this area, and I've actually seen the product that has been built to support this technology. I think it's really fascinating, and uh, it's just really cool what you all are doing. And so really looking forward to diving in on this. You know, Scott, to, to kind of start us off, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what remote sensing is and, and what are some of the applications that it can be used for? Yeah, remote sensing is loosely defined as collecting data from a remote distance. Mm-hmm. And generally speaking, it's used to describe uh, the activities done from satellites or aircraft uh, and also from drones. So Andy's group does a lot of work with aircraft, obviously maybe moving into drones at some point. And it's also important, though, to to, uh, to nod the head to the satellite imagery world as well, because they all have very important roles to play. You know, in general, applications-wise, they, they range from wide area coverage of whole regions to do things like forestry management or crop yield predictions, mm-hmm. um, all the way down to individual parcels with, with drones where they're doing 3D models of a building or doing inspections of smokestacks and things like that. Some people could argue that, that that's not that actually remote and that might not fall into the remote sensing category, but that's more, more of a nuanced discussion. If you look at really wide area collections, mm-hmm. uh, they're used for things, again, like oil and gas exploration. There are public service programs such as the 3D elevation program that the U.S. puts on in order to give basically a public service of, of provisioning a 3D map for everybody to use. It's a pretty mm-hmm. low-grade map, but it's a it's kind of another public service thing that is useful across a lot of industries. Remote sensing uh, results in things like Google Maps, for example, uh, which combines satellite imagery and aerial imagery mm-hmm. to generate the, the high-res maps that, that we all like to use when we navigate through the cities. And then there's a lot of coastline monitoring opportunities and facility planning, a really wide range of of applications. In general, you could say if any activity or any site has a geographic location, and and most activities do, there may be an application for remote sensing. Hmm. So right now it's it's mostly airplane-borne technology, but I guess with drones, is it just really a matter of like, because I've seen like, for instance, the pods that we use or that Jacobs uses for remote sensing, and they're, they're pretty, they're fairly stout, you know, but like, so 
I think of a drone, I think of something maybe the size of a shoebox. I don't think it could bear up under that technology. Is it, is it really just a matter of the technology eventually will get smaller and smaller and then it, it, a drone can, can bear it up or? There's a, there's a yes and a no to that. There's, there's pure physics, which will really eliminate some possibilities. And so you're not going to ever get a very large camera system or mapping system on a, on a shoebox sized drone. Obviously that's just, it's not going to work. Just like you're never going to get a large enough telescope on orbit to compete with what a drone can do from five feet away, for example, from a spatial resolution perspective. And then when we talk about the geopod that Andy's group uses to go collect, there are certain niche areas where it outperforms both drones and satellites. And so when we think about a remote sensing strategy for Jacobs in particular, it's it's how do we use all different kinds of platforms and their benefits in terms of how much they can carry, how mm-hmm. much area they can cover, and, and what kinds of geometries they're most suited for. Those are the kinds of things that we need to think about as far as remote sensing. No, oh, okay. Okay. Very cool. And then, Andy, so what are some of the most pressing challenges you would say that aerial remote sensing can be used to address? Well, one of them, given that it's remote, it's kind of uh, generally suited for things that are large in scale uh, that you, you you can't be immediately adjacent to. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think when I think of what you want to use remote sensing for, I think I often gravitate to sort of all our large scale infrastructure. We've got mm-hmm. a, a ton of infrastructure that is, you know, whether it's a transportation network or a rail network or a city, it's of the scale that makes it very difficult to just kind of keep tabs on. And I think mm-hmm. what remote sensing, especially kind of the satellite and aerial scale ones allow you to do is to get mm-hmm. some level of detail that is consistent and comprehensive of that entire infrastructure. It can't be all things to all people. You know, there's still going to be people driving trucks with LIDARs to go, you know, fill out the last uh, kind of street view level information. There's still going to be people with cell phones and iPads you know, capturing additional things. But what it gives you is that wide scale that can stitch everything together to give you kind of a cohesive geospatially oriented index into uh, your infrastructure. So that's one. And I think maybe another I'd go to is, I think there's a lot of potential for remote sensing to add speed to our projects. Uh, Everyone would like our projects to go more quickly. And I think it gives you the opportunity to find out about your site before you even have access to it, to accelerate the permitting and early phase design steps, and then you can refine it as the project goes on. But I I think it has a lot of potential to speed up the progress towards construction and then the transition from construction to as-belts and kind of an O&M digital twin maintenance. Oh, okay. Okay. And then Scott, you know, so... You know, I'm thinking about remote sensing and how it's deployed and it it allows us to look at huge areas of geography and track them and digitize them. Can it be used for things such as sustainability, you know, endeavors? And I'm thinking like, for instance, like kind of going out on a limb here, like coastal squeeze, right? Like, so maybe it's like you do flyovers of beachfront geographies to see like, you know, is, is it eroding? Is the sea encroaching? You know, that kind of thing. You can track that, that over time. You know, I mean, is are there like sustainability types of endeavors that you could see remote sensing being used for? Absolutely. This is 
possibly one of the most exciting application spaces for remote sensing, not just because it's a, a noble endeavor, obviously, but because a lot of what we need to observe about climate change or ecological system change really is at the large scales kind of that Andy described as well. So um, mm -hmm. yeah, coastal resiliency, huge. We're developing a LIDAR right now, for example, that could detect very slight changes in elevation over time as, as you know, the, the coast erodes or as roads subside and maybe dip and crack with changes in the water table below them, things like mm -hmm. that. And his team right now is, uh, is just finished up a project actually in the Midwest, which we, we do every year for precision agriculture. And one of the key objectives out of that work using multispectral imagery is to reduce the inputs that go into producing the highest yield and highest quality food. So this is a food security and food sustainability kind of project. So the reduction of fertilizers and the optimization of water usage and the reduction of pesticides or perhaps just the application of pesticides at just the right time and only if necessary. Those things are directly enabled by what Jacobs is doing in the Midwest over millions and millions of acres of crop corns and things like that. You expand even further out mm -hmm. and look at satellite constellations like the ones provided by, for example, Planet, and their imagery is used over very wide areas to do forecast predictions for whole regions. And it's done both in the US and in Africa um, and in other emerging parts of, of the world to do forecast predictions, to look at deforestation in areas where you and I couldn't wander into easily, like the Amazon, for example. Mm -hmm. And then other aerial, aerial remote sensing and, uh, and space-borne remote sensing capabilities can lead to biomass estimation and measurement for forestry. Uh, mm -hmm. So the, this this list kind of goes on and on, including ice cap reduction monitoring and things like that. So sustainability mm -hmm. is one of the, the really, really neat goals that remote sensing is almost uniquely able to impact as we move forward. No, that's very fascinating. And I'm sure that there's going to be no shortage of uh, uh, use cases that emerge here in the, the years and even decades to come. So. Now, Andy, you know, I'm, as Scott was talking, I was thinking about, and I was thinking about precision agriculture, and I was thinking about like topsoil erosion, and about how, like how the chemistry of the soil has been is changing, and like you know, it, like nu nutrition is like depleting out, things like that. And I'm like wondering if there's ways to combine remote sensing with, you know, tracking on the ground and using like emerging technologies to track like how things are progressing in a certain area. So precision ag is just one area, but you know, I'm, I'm really wondering, I guess more broadly, what I'm asking is like, are there ways to take remote sensing and combine it with things such as artificial intelligence, digital twinning, predictive analytics and that sort of thing, you know, to like really like take the technology in a whole new and exciting way and really kind of ramp things up. Yeah, I, I think, you know, AI has, has done great things for imagery and remote sensing in general, both at the drone scale and the satellite scale and everything in between. You know, there are, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like machine learning 101, uh, you know, <laughs> practice to, uh, to tr label some items in an image and then train your AI to find them. So I think what is really interesting to me in this area is 
the grounding of those algorithms in kind of scientific validity, engineering validity, mm -hmm. uh, which you can only do by proving their performance by having ground truth and an understanding of what the scientist really needs to prove to uh, with that algorithm. We're in an interesting phase there where everybody has their flashy demos and things. I really hope that companies like Jacobs can harness it to be, you know, a higher end product, something that you can actually rely on scientifically. And, and I think to be in that, in the running for that, you have to have the expertise, the people in the field uh, to, to check on things. So I, you know, I'm excited to be at Jacobs to watch that unfold. And then in digital twins, kind of similar to my prior answer, you know, remote sensing is good at large scale. Uh, there's mm -hmm. always going to be something that can get more fidelity. So I think what's going to be really interesting for digital twins is how do you fuse those different scales together? How do you get an initial kind of wide scale view through your remote sensing, but then keep tying it and, and updating it over time as new measurements come in that come from wildly different, you know, sensing sources and, mm -hmm. and databases and stuff like that. So that's the challenge is how do you move from a visual twin that might mm -hmm. come out of your initial remote sensing into something that is usable and manageable and predictive over time. Hmm. Okay. And then what do you see, Andy, are some of the shortcomings that currently exist in the use of remote sensing? I think probably the one that a lot of people would point to is practical, large scale UAS adoption and, and usability uh, mm. that, you know, everyone's fairly aware that the FAA kind of uh, interaction with crude aircraft and passenger aircraft and things mm. uh, creates a real challenge for getting to drones that can fly higher than 400 feet. And there's, there are only so many things you can do above 400 feet. And then after we solve that, there's going to be a period where we have to figure out the cost. How do you get, uh, you know, at the, at the moment, a large scale drone, which we, you know, have used in more military sort of settings, they have a, a, a logistical footprint that exceeds that often of the crewed aircraft. So I think it's going to be some time here till we really solve this. And we probably, you probably don't see the big cost benefits of mm -hmm. UASs for, for large scale remote sensing until you have individual people being able to uh, manage kind of swarms, multiple drones. Uh, mm -hmm. So you can beat down the cost that is going, uh, kind of the upfront cost that's going into all that high technology that you need to bring to bear. Hmm. Okay. And then Scott, my last question, how is remote sensing going to evolve in the future? Like, where do you see it going? I think ultimately those challenges for the deployment of UASs will get figured out. Um, mm -hmm. The regulatory environment will evolve. Andy will point out that we're still allowed to fly around um, with very limited avionics, for example, just under regulatory permissions. And that actually inhibits the deployment of UASs in some areas. So ultimately that's gonna, that's gonna impact remote sensing. On the space side, uh, it's a very interesting progression. You know, back in the 1990s, the US government was, was trying to start to push the commercialization of remote sensing, which, which up until the previous decade, we could say, mm -hmm. had been almost exclusively the domain of the U.S. government and, and other allied governments and our adversaries. And then SpaceX came along ultimately and, and really opened up the territory up in, in uh, the low Earth orbit in particular. And so we've seen this proliferation of low Earth orbit satellites 
and the business model really changed such that now there are constellations of, of a couple hundred or more small satellites that sometimes provide in a couple cases, synoptic view of the entire globe every day at 3.7 meters, for example. So there's that continues to go on, but I, I think what we are seeing trend-wise is is a push for better and better resolution, actually, because mm. the commercial industry has had a hard time extracting value in some cases from some of these, we'll say, lesser quality but higher volume systems. They, they have an interesting role to play, particularly back to that sustainability question, particularly in terms of total coverage of, of the globe um, yeah. and what kind of large you know changes are occurring to the land masses. So we're seeing you know companies like Maxar launch satellites that are that are getting better and better resolution down to 50 centimeters. Other yeah. companies are, are launching even finer resolution. There's a company called Albedo, which is got plans to to launch a satellite that will they claim will compete with aerial imagery mm. at 10 centimeter uh, resolution now their coverage rates and their tasking and a whole host of other complications are, are going to make it such that they're not really going to compete with aerial imagery but it, but it's a fascinating trend to see you know what was sort of an explosion of medium quality low quality shall we say comparatively from a technical mm. you know, sort of perspective pushing towards higher quality satellites. And then a really interesting sort of transition has occurred with respect to synthetic aperture radar, which is a kind of, of radar that is collected over a, a period of time and from which you can generate imagery where you don't need sunlight, for example, to be able to, to take images. And that's a, a major difference. So mm -hmm. synthetic aperture radar can see through clouds, can operate at night, because it generates its own energy uh, with which it, it then actually uh, produces the imagery th through some very sophisticated processing. So over the past five years, there have been four or five different synthetic aperture radar satellite providers coming out. And mm -hmm. that's probably going to be persistent because they are the kinds of companies that can have a consistent view of, let's say, a port or, or the dock sides for how many ships have pulled up, et cetera, et cetera, regardless of the weather. And um, mm -hmm. so SAR is very interesting. And then, you know, obviously Andy just was talked about artificial intelligence and machine learning, and that's, that's going to be one of the consistent trends as far as implementation goes here moving forward. Um, so really having AI ML guide what images are taken where based on what they've seen on the previous passes, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. And then I think, you know, sort of, coming back down from orbit into the aerial domain. And, and this is where Andy probably you know, has far more wisdom than I do to pass on about where the trends are, but there are more and more sophisticated sensors being built by companies that are trying to vertically integrate in, in many cases. So they're trying to combine sensor development with operations and AIML and analytics so that they can provide a full value chain and really go after you know niche areas. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Andy, any other thoughts on, on sort of aerial domain initiatives and trends? Yeah, I think that vertical integration is interesting. And I think the next place it's going to happen is with LIDAR. I think that, you know, we've we've kind of seen Eagle View and now NearMap sort of bring a different business model 
to aerial imaging where they're out there collecting independent of customers and then and then selling it many times i'm, I'm really interested to see you know where lidar goes at the moment lidar sort of been held back by expense and by mm -hmm. kind of the data that comes out of it being unwieldy very large uh these point clouds uh but i you know there's so much value there that as we find solutions to that and i think we will not only will people use it more but i'm really excited to see how the analytics can develop around it i think um you know there's there's a lot you can get from a point cloud and there's even more you can get from fusing information coming out of a point cloud with imagery uh, you kind of get the the highest resolution 2d view from your imagery and the 3d representation of the object much better from the the lidar and it, it really just comes down to your analytics need that full picture to kind of be able to do the same thing that your your human brain can do in interpreting what things are and what their condition is and all that sort of thing. So that's kind of what I'm excited about. LiDAR scaling up. Hmm. Excellent, excellent. Well, Scott and Andy, I really appreciate you taking the time to sit down with me today and, and talk about remote sensing. I think it's a fascinating technology and and especially I think when you can combine it with some of the other emerging technologies. I think it's going to be a real game changer. So appreciate you both uh, spending time and sharing your insights today. Yeah, great. Thank you. Yeah, thanks.